everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, where we talk about the global side of technology. This is episode number 29, and of course, as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PCNerd37, alongside my trusty co-host, Mr. Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Hey, I'm melting. Yeah, you're not the only one. I think it was like 99 here today. Yeah, it got to 104, and that was before it got to the hardest part of the day. So we've been hitting constants constant records uh we were a couple days of 107s it's it's insane how hot it mm. is here yeah we haven't hit any records but we we've we're supposed to be in the upper 90s all week except for maybe like friday i think but it's certainly too hot for what i care for yeah i would love some upper 90s yeah i i want winter back that's all i can say is i want winter back <laughs> yeah and it's not a dry heat so yeah, up here it's been a fairly dry heat, although we, there's been storms all around, but we haven't gotten any here in town, so it hasn't been too bad. But when we get storms plus the heat, then it's just unbearable. Mm, yeah, but, I can vouch for yeah, that. Yeah, and around here, everybody, all we ever use is swamp coolers around here, so if we get a storm as to where it's real humid, then they do absolutely nothing. Yeah, I'm going to have to Google that. Yeah, but anyway, a couple of things I want to talk about real quick before we get into the show. Uh, HP Media Smart Home Server. Um, I might do a write-up on this on the blog sometime this week, but I want to take a couple seconds to talk about it. Uh, got one a little over a week and a half ago. I have to say I absolutely love it. Until now, I've never found a product from HP that I've ever liked. But I have to say that this is wonderful, and it was. I was looking at getting the new Acer Spire home server, and for the extra hundred dollars, this was worth it with everything that it comes pre-installed and pre-configured and everything that I was just able to push all my one terabyte drives in, and it ran and it works just great. It even works great as a print server. Uh, and I'll probably talk about that more on the blog. Which, by the way, we need more hits on the blog. Blog. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be the WordPress stats is screwed up. But if not, then hits on the blog are down 50% in the past two weeks, and I just can't have that. So go visit the blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog. Anyway, the second thing I wanted to mention real quick was I've been getting some uh, questions lately about getting like cheap laptops, cheap computers, stuff like that. Uh, got a couple of quick tips First of all, check out sites like Newegg and ZipZoomFly. Those are my two personal favorites for pretty much anything, whether it's computer components, um, laptops, notebooks, netbooks, you name it. Um, They tend to have the best prices, and usually between one or the other, you can usually get free shipping. So, and... Subscribe to their newsletters if you're looking for bargains. A lot of times, at least Newegg puts a new newsletter out daily. ZipZoom flies more like once a week or twice a week, something like that. So you can find some pretty good bargains and coupon codes and stuff in there. Um, there's Tiger Direct and stuff. Find site. Don't deal with mail-in rebates through Tiger Direct. Maybe they've improved over the last year or two. But generally speaking, they have a reputation for if you buy something with a rebate, you better never expect to see your rebate because you just won't get it, which I don't know. That could be different 
now that they also now that System X also owns uh, CompUSA and Circuit City. I don't know if you have any recent experiences with that. Let me know. But um, also, when you're going shopping for something, check out Bing.com. Uh, Bing, of course, being Microsoft's search engine. If you go to Bing.com slash cashback, which used to be the live cashback or whatever, and you go through to a store like Newegg or Zips and Fly through there, you can, after a certain period of time, earn a percentage of your purchase back in cash. Or, well, actually, they'll probably send you a check or whatever. So if you go and spend a thousand dollars at Newegg and there's a ten dollar and and you get a ten percent discount or whatever through Bing.com after a certain number of days expires to where you don't they're not worried about you buying something and sending it back or whatever then you'll get ten percent of your money back which is a great way of saving money too but anyway that's the main tips that I had unless you have any to add Oh, no. I was looking up Swamp Coolers. Ah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, anyway, that's just some of the tips I had. I've, I've had several people lately asking me about what I, where I recommend to shop, um, how to get stuff cheap, stuff like that. So I just wanted to share a little bit of that. But, yeah. Did, did you mention Bing yes. already? Okay. Yeah, but personally, I prefer Zip ZoomFly over Newegg just because they tend to default shipping to FedEx and I'm a huge FedEx fan and I hate UPS so and you can get FedEx through Newegg but it will cost you an arm and a leg to do it so. yeah Costco can sometimes have like a cheaper price but usually the cheaper price will be made up in uh, either shipping if you're doing it through the website and and you have to include tax on top of that so uh, depends on how um, quickly you need something. You can get Costco if you're willing to go pick it up, but if you're doing it online, I, I wouldn't bother. Yeah, that's always been my issue with eBay is you get all these people selling stuff for cheap, but then they make it up in shipping by charging $50 for shipping a Blu-ray disc or something like that. Uh, it, it's yeah. just stupid. But, yeah, that, and also, as far as taxes go, those tend to only apply in certain states. Actually, for those of you that don't know, the taxes apply everywhere. The IRS still cares about that, but they don't ever seem to enforce what you purchase online as far as trying to collect sales tax or whatever from it. So you're on your own if you try and say that you don't buy anything online, but I've never had any problems saying that. So anyway, then again, I've, I've never filed them myself. I always have filed underneath my parents. So I can't right. say I have any direct experience with it. And speaking of purchases right quick, you only have till July 11th to get your Windows 7 pre-orders in. Oh, yeah, I almost forgot about that. Then again, I'm not actually going to be pre-ordering because I ha think I have a cheaper way of getting a hold of it thanks to having some family inside of Microsoft. So. Yep, it's not what you know. It's who you yeah. Know. yeah, it always helps when I can get nice, cheap Microsoft software from them through the from the company store or whatever. Oh, wonderful. Now we have idiots shooting off fireworks already. Anyway. You're celebrating the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, we get people all around the neighborhood that have a tendency of starting to shoot fireworks off at the beginning of the summer and then ending at the end of the summer, no matter how many times people call the cops on them. Right. But, yeah, it, it, 
It's annoying. Normally I don't mind it too much. It's just the new dog that we have is, seems to be scared to death of everything, especially fireworks. But anyway, we've got plenty of stories to get through, so we probably better fly through them. Okay. Uh, first story we have, Europe gets hand is apparently going to be getting for hand, the handset makers have agreed to a universal charger. So if you have a cell phone that apparently mainly for data enabled phones, you'll have a universal charger that being a micro USB port. Yeah, um Europe already has a universal wireless standard, which is GSM, and now they have a universal charger. Um, I think this will also, uh, just like GSM has done for mobile phones in Europe, I think this is something that's going to further the handset handset um, adoption, especially when uh, you can you can have you know furniture made with this kind of charger and know that it worked for any kind of phone, um, uh, computer cables for sync cables, all that stuff. I'm glad that all the proprietary crap is going away. Yeah, this is something I kind of wish we had here. I mean, normally it's for charging all my devices. It's some form of USB cable, but generally speaking, it's the mini USB rather than the micro USB. Which, for those of you that aren't real sure of the difference, um, the the mini USB is things like what the PS3 controller plugs into, what your PSP plugs in uses, um, and whereas the mini USB is more like what you'd find on a Kindle. Actually, hold on one second. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. Had to bring the dog in from the... Uh, just because he was scared of the fireworks. Ah, uh, the barrage. Yeah. yeah. But with the... Apparently all the major handset providers are in on this. Nokia, Motorola, Research in Motion, Apple. So pretty much everybody's in on this. Why this isn't also in the U.S., I don't know. But... This is something I certainly hope we can get here. Yeah, hopefully the handset makers won't uh, go through the extra trouble of maintaining two different power interfaces. Hopefully they'll just keep the one, and that be the European standard, and we'll see it here in the States also. Yeah, the choice of micro USB seems a little strange. I mean, there's not very many devices that I know of, at least in the U.S., that use that. I mean, the only device that I own that uses that is the Kindle. Everything else uses the mini USB. Yeah, that's true. But, I don't know, maybe this means we'll see more handsets out or what they'll be moving to. I don't know. I will be. I thought, I think I heard something about pre-using micro USB. Does it? I could be wrong on that. I could be Yeah, wrong. I'm not sure what it is they use. Hmm. I'll have to look into that. But... Speaking of, and I'm not real sure how to transition into this next one. Um, Stick, speaking of new things. Eh, well, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't call yeah. LogMeIn a new thing. I've been using it for years. But apparently... Oh, the IPO is a new thing. Yeah. Well, apparently, in, I guess, tomorrow there are... There's, I guess, they're looking to raise $107.2 million dollars in an IPO, which they're, for those that are curious, looks like it's going to, the price will range from 14 to $16 a share, with 6.7 million shares available, and their stock ticker, ticker symbol will be L-O-G-M. 
Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I've used LogMeIn for years, and it's an awesome product. Um, I, I know that they compete with GoToMyPC. Um, definitely um, from the podcasts I listen to, especially on the Twit Network, I, I hear a lot about GoToMyPC. So um, I'm hoping, hopefully, this IPO will give them enough cash injection to do a decent marketing campaign to raise awareness. Yeah, I, I've been a big fan of logging in for years. I remember using it back in college and stuff. But and it's basically similar to what Citrix has with like go to my PC and that it it's like a VNC kind of remote desktop application not only do they have that but they have stuff like Hamachi which I don't know how familiar you are with that but it's basically creating like a local network over the internet so that you have a certain group of like friends or family that you're on a little local network with that you can more easily like share files and stuff yeah I was uh, I used that product before um, they were purchased by LogMeIn uh, I forget the name of the 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 company that made it before or the old name of it um, and uh, it, it did a decent job uh, especially when you just want to uh, try to VPN into something um, the, the thing that I love LogMeIn over go to my PC is that they have a free version mm-hmm. in which you can install on your, your PCs um, I have it on my in-laws PCs and my parents PCs um, just in case I need to do some troubleshooting and it's free yeah that that's what I've always enjoyed about it the most is the fact that it's free now of course there is a pro version which will allow you to do stuff like I think like remote printing and um, being right. and tr- file transfer yeah, file transfer being able to hear sounds over the rem- the remote desktop connection and stuff like that, which I've never really found that necessary, but generally I can do just about anything I want to with the combination of LogMeIn and Orb, which for those of you that don't know what Orb is, it's a great way for streaming media and being able to download files from your computer wherever you are. Probably the best product I've ever used. Yeah, this is a good IPO. Um, I'm glad to see that you know tech is coming back and slowly and not overwhelming it uh, overwhelmingly to cause another bubble but this is a company that really needs to go um, get the cash injection to really uh, develop more yeah I I can't wait to see what they do with that cash I'm actually considering buying into some shares myself just because I'm such a huge fan of the company yeah they can go far yeah well, speaking of companies that have gone far, apparently Acer has gone far enough that it's going to be these it's going to um, unseat Dell as the second largest PC manufacturer. Yeah, this is I think a, a success story for Acer and also a really really sad story for Dell. Um, Dell has really really floundered. Um, they used to be the pioneer, um, but. One thing that was unclear from the story, I, I didn't read the the details or have all the details. This is is this purely just unit sales and um, and market share? This is not a a, a money um, statement, right? They're not saying that that Acer is going to make more money than Dell. Yeah, this is just market share, which how they're getting a lot of this market share and probably why they may not be making quite as much money as Dell, which 
the fact that Dell's more in the server, does a lot more server market stuff than Acer does, which that's kind of beside the point. But this is purely about uh, market share, which Acer has gone through the roof on, primarily thanks to netbooks and low-cost PCs. Yeah, yeah. They're... they're uh becoming the, uh, the Kleenex of the tissue industry. Uh, when people think netbooks, they do think of Acer and their EEPCs, uh, at least initially, because they were first to market and first to uh, garner wide adoption. Um, so uh, good for them. I, I don't think that they will stay there for that long, especially when we're talking about um, going back to school and the Windows 7 rollout 11, uh, later on this year. Um, I think that is going to push the envelope of innovation and push people to uh, try to uh, buy new shiny things. And uh, a slower uh, netbook is probably going to be less attractive when people are moving towards uh, buying a computer that they want to keep for a while because they've had their XP or slower machine for a while already. Yeah. Well, even with their normal size laptops, they make pretty good products. I've, I've been using Acer machines for, oh, I was thinking about it, it had to have been five years now, something like that. Yeah. I, I, I've been, I had a an Acer Aspire laptop when I was a junior in high school, and I recently got an Acer Aspire 1 netbook, which I love. Actually, it's I wouldn't say it's been too recent, it's been quite a few months ago that I've gotten it, and I love it. But a lot of this is the fact that they own several other companies, so while you don't necessarily see very many Acer computers out there, you do see a lot of the companies that they own. Because they own eMachines, Gateway, and Packard Bell. Which eMachines... Right. That's mainly a Euro- European statement, Packard Bell. Yeah. eMachines is basically their real El Cheapo kind of stuff, mainly for desktops and stuff, and Packard Bell is the um, European equivalent of that, basically. And... Mm-hmm. Gateway is a little bit more in the way of, like, customizable stuff. But between all of those and what Acer sells under its own brand, they have, they've gotten to have, I believe it's a, over 11% market share, and Dell's down to, oh, what was that figure? Yeah, I think, I think it's like 13.6% or something like that, but... It's close, yeah. Yeah, and... Dell seems to be losing even more market share to them in the store. They figure Acer will overtake Dell by the end of the year. Yeah. And don't forget that you know Acer does play in the high end. Uh, you f- don't forget their Ferrari line of laptops. Oh yeah, I almost forgot about the Ferrari stuff, which I don't think they sell a whole lot of stuff of from that. I actually haven't. I don't know if I've even heard much of, from the Ferrari line in the past year or so. But yeah, they they're. Nice little laptops, that's for sure. Yeah, they're pretty sturdy too. That's one thing that I I have heard. I haven't heard of. A, I've heard a lot of uh, HP returns. Uh, I've even heard of a couple of Dell netbook returns, but I haven't heard of a lot of EEPC uh, breaking down. Yeah, yeah. It, it's my Aspire One. I've never had an issue with it. It's been wonderful, and it seems extremely sturdy. Even the laptop that I bought back as a junior in high school was pretty sturdy for about two years until the LCD cracked, in which case 
while support was helpful, they still wanted to charge me $600 for an LCD, which was a little bit much at the time, considering I could just about purchase a new laptop for that. Oh, I need to correct myself. I think it's Asus that makes the EEPC, not right. Acer. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My mistake. Yeah. But speaking of quality. Making money. Yeah, quality, making <laughs> money. Apparently, The Simpsons fetches a higher ad rate on Hulu and TV.com than it does on actual television. This story, it kind of surprised me when I first saw it, just to hear the raw numbers of it, but apparently when you're talking on a CPM basis... Uh, That's cost per thousand. Yeah, yeah. so for every thousand viewers, The Simpsons generally, if you're watching it on TV, they get typically paid between or marketers will typically, typically pay between 20 and $40 per thousand viewers during a primetime ad. Well, on Hulu, they're getting about double that between like Around forty or around sixty thousand, or around sixty dollars per thousand viewer. I'm wondering if some of the television numbers are diluted with the mini networks that they have syndication through. Um, that uh, I wonder if, since reruns, maybe some some stations will show like four or five episodes. Uh, in a given day, depending on the time of day, um, that it might be cheaper to have advertising there and then more expensive for the new episodes. I wonder if that's diluting some of the TV numbers. Yeah, that could be. TV numbers have never really been accurate anyway. If you look at how Nielsen takes their numbers and stuff, it, it it's just a horrible scale that kind of needs to be completely thrown out and most people that have any knowledge of it will pretty much agree with it. Um, that that's one of the best things about going through something like a Hulu or a TV.com is you know the exact number of people that are watching. You know that the ads are so small that a lot of times they're 15, 30 seconds instead of three or four minutes worth of ads in a row that they basically have, they're not going to skip through them. Or, well, in the case of Hulu, you can't skip through them. I don't know about TV.com, but they're so short mm-hmm. that you can't really skip through them and make a bathroom break out of them so you know those people are going to be watching those ads and I believe the statistics say that apparently if when in their ad, the ads on Hulu the people that are watching twice as likely to recall what those ads were compared to those that watch the TV ads now that may not be the case right. during like the Super Bowl but that's a whole different scenario right but, and also you can pull a lot more detailed information for instance, you can tell um, what ISP they're using just from uh, looking of their their network and how it's configured. Um, just do a trace route. You can uh, also tell um, if if Hulu and TV.com share with the user um, if they have a logged in account. What the user also watches that can give them more information on uh, what kind of demographic they're dealing with, and um, geographically they know where the users are physically. Um, and uh, probably in the future there will possibly be uh, surveys to volunteer more or additional information for the users who actually consume this content to give the advertisers even more information and uh, the interactive medium of the web uh, is definitely the future of entertainment and um, 
this shows that Hulu and TV.com can be successful with their current model and um, might even outpace t- television. Yeah, I think the internet is pretty much a marketer's dream just because of all the metrics that they can get and classify everything in a store. It's actually worth the $60 per thousand compared to a 20 or $40 per thousand just because you get so much better data that it it's totally worth it. And I think that's what a lot of them are starting to see now is that when you're advertising on stuff like this, or even when you're advertising in things like podcasts, where not only can you get that information, but you can also um, key in on the fact that a lot of the podcasts and blogs and stuff are very niche, so you can drill down to specific interests of people and get even more targeted ads that way. Right. And also, um, just to explain to our listeners who might not know how CPM equals cost per thousand, uh, the M is the Roman numeral M, which is thousand. So that's where that comes from. Um, but the the other advantage of Hulu and TV.com over television is usually if you have a television, you have to be at home. Mm. With Hulu and TV.com, you can watch it at home, at work, on vacation, wherever you wherever you can take a PC and get an internet connection. So um, it it gives them more opportunity to. To, to get more eyeball time. Right, and speaking of which, and I actually wrote this up on the blog today, um, apparently you can no longer, at least with the 2.8 update, uh, get the get Hulu, or at least be able to watch Hulu videos on the PS3. I'm, I'm hearing different stories. Part of it could be from the 2.8 firmware update. Another story I'm hearing is that Hulu is specifically b- blocking the PS3 platform from streaming its content, which... Last I heard, neither Sony or Hulu have commented on it, but you can no longer get it on there anyway. Um, I've tried that out myself, not recently to check this particular story out, but personally I never found watching Hulu content on the PS3 all that wonderful compared to on the PC, so I really don't know who would much care anyway. Conspiracy theory? Sony did it on purpose so you can consume more of their content? Uh, it could be, a, although I have a feeling this is kind of more of a Hulu deal, like the whole boxy issue. Well, if it's just a 2.8 update that's causing the problem, I would say it's more of a Sony issue, because why not block it, you know, on the older firmware? Why just the newer Well, one? I'm also hearing rumors that Hulu could be integrated into the PS3 coming the 3.0 firmware update. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, that could have something to do with it, too. Then again, I I can't vouch for that particular source of that rumor, so I've never heard of the person that sent me that rumor, so if it's true or not, I don't know. But considering the fact that the Xbox 360 has Netflix, I would say there could be some truth to that. Oh, or some bad um, boxy block script that is being implemented on the uh, on the the Hulu side, causing it to classify some browsers that possibly could be boxy mm-hmm. and blocking them that way. Yeah. Well, who knows? But anyway, um, actually, I probably should have put this with the Acer story, considering how much we talked about netbooks. But anyway, mm-hmm. apparently, a lot of netbook owners don't realize that what they have is a netbook, and they're yeah, I. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. 
I was going to say, I, this reminds me of this video that I ran into uh, on the internet saying that how many people didn't know what a web browser was. Huh. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Yeah, I should send it to you. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently there's a lot of people that, especially more uninformed people, essentially the people that don't listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> don't know what a netbook is. They don't understand the fact that they're basically smaller, more stripped-down laptops that don't have, like, the CD-ROMs. They've got a real small screen. They have they don't have that much RAM, and they're basically mainly good for using the Internet. They're not good for a whole lot else. But And I think, and in this study or whatever from the MPD group, and they go on to explain that a lot of people aren't necessarily, or like well, apparently only 58% of consumers that bought a netbook instead of a notebook said that they were satisfied with the purchase compared to 70% of consumers who planned on buying a netbook from the start were satisfied with their thing and, and I think that's just kind of and that makes sense I mean if you're not um, all that informed and know what the difference is going to be you're going to not going to be quite as happy when you find out it doesn't have stuff like the CD-ROM drive and stuff compared to knowing what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, I I blame a little bit of this on the blue shirts. Um, mm. Sorry for any Best Buy employees who listen to this podcast, but in general, um, in the retail environment, uh, I don't think salespeople are... Uh, educated enough, not saying that they're stupid, it's just that they're not as uh, necessary uh, put in a role to teach their users exactly the differences between the different types of computer. Um, and I, I think that education aspect is what's causing some of some of these uh, dissatisfaction numbers to be so high, is because um, people who have a certain set of expectations um, may not uh, get asked the questions, well, I know what you're going to use it for, but have you thought about using it for this? Because this won't do that. I don't think that that's actually uh, being voiced to the customers. I think the features are being uh, are, are, are being uh, touted as being great and the, the tractions are being minimized. Um, also, I think netbooks used to be stripped down, but as more and more people get into the space and innovation has been pushed, I think they are more capable than they used to be. They used to be only good for the for surfing the net, but now um, they're good for other things. Um, not, not as high power as a laptop, but definitely more power today than they were when they debuted. Yeah. Well, I, uh, it comes down to three different things. One is the point of sale people. Two is right. that I don't think a lot of people really take the time to research their purchases when it comes to things like laptops, largely because they don't—they've never actually taken the time to understand like what RAM is, what it does, how much of a benefit a larger hard drive is, stuff like that, for mm -hmm. less processor speeds and how many USB ports and everything else. I think it, I think a large part of it boils down to just consumer ignorance. And, and the third right. point being that there's not a whole lot in the way of marketing out there from any company that is really uh -huh. saying, this is a netbook, this is a notebook. And I think that's probably a big problem. And I, I think part of that had to do with the whole netbook um, 
trademark. Mm-hmm. But With yeah, Scion. and I and I think now that that's over, I think we might see a little bit more in terms of marketing saying, "This is what a netbook is. This is what it's used for. This is a laptop, and this is what it's used for." So I, th- I think once you finally, once one of these companies, whether it's Acer, Asus, Dell, whoever, once they realize that they need to be pushing that in terms of marketing, I think you'll see these numbers start to change a little bit. I, I think that's an that's an excellent point, especially about the uh, the fact that the the people who are the OEMs who are selling these aren't actually identifying what they mm-hmm. are, and. Um, I'm wondering if when uh, Windows 7 and Windows 7 Starter Edition, to be more specific, I wonder if Microsoft will put some money towards that to help educate customers, get the word out. Yeah, I I would think so. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that they declared their official specifications for what a netbook can be at maximum, which I don't remember what exactly those were, but it like said, a certain screen size, a certain amount of RAM, certain hard drive, whatever. And that's about as close as it got. Um, but that's... I don't know how much they're going to really push behind that with Windows 7. I know that there have certain versions of Windows 7 that are supposed to be more geared to that. But I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see just how that plays out. I know that they're supposedly kicking around the idea of having Windows 7 available on flash drives, which is actually a blog yeah. post that I have written. I just need to put it up. Um, but they're kicking around the idea of flash drives largely for the netbooks more than anything else, although it is more convenient for other things because you don't have to worry about like scratch disks and stuff too. I always wonder, I, I heard that story too about the flash drives, um, and I always wonder, do you think they would be read-only? flash drives, or do you think they'll be rewrite capable? I would assume read-only, but I don't know. I mean, Actually, there could be a great benefit to that in that people who do things like stri- slipstreaming their um, installs of Vista or XP or whatever, if you had that just on a USB drive, you could just do it that way instead of having to make all kinds of like extra disks and stuff and images and everything for slipstreaming all your updates into your Windows install. So there would certainly be a benefit to having it read-write, but at the same time you don't really want to have to worry about whoever accidentally um, overwriting it just because they needed to transfer some files for a minute or two. Yeah, if, if, if I can give Microsoft a suggestion, I would vote towards the U3 model in which you put one USB stick in and it shows up as a readable, writable space and also as uh, a virtual disk drive. Um, Have the OS in that disk drive and have the readable, writable space and then uh, have like a firmware update to update the uh, CD portion or virtual CD portion uh, whenever you want to slipstream service packs or updates on that. I I think that would work out great. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see where they go with that or if they do anything like that at all. They haven't even announced any plans for if they're going to allow it to be downloaded, which, as far as I know, I believe you can purchase and download copies of Vista, but they haven't even, even though they announced, like, pricing and stuff last week, they haven't announced anything in terms of whether or not you'll actually be able to even just download Windows 7. I I know that you can download at least the upgrade 
because when I was surfing around looking for where to purchase the upgrade, in the Microsoft Store, they allow you to do the pre-purchase uh, and uh, this, and say the download would be available if you chose to do uh, digital delivery. So I, I know at least for the upgrade that they're doing that. So if they're doing it for the upgrade, I, w- I, I don't see why they wouldn't do it for the full version also. Yeah. Well, speaking of digital downloads and other places that you can get your software that aren't necessarily legal. Um, apparently, has kind of has a little bit of a new mo- motto. They're, actually, they're kind of trying various different models just to try and see what sticks. Like with the new um, Tiger Woods game for the PC that's coming out this fall or whatever, um, they're going to try a subscription-based model. Well, now they're essentially saying, if you want to pirate our games, fine, we're okay with that. It's just that we're going to try and they're essentially going to be storefronts, and we're going to try and sell you added content. Now, if the publisher of the game is saying, go ahead and get it from, you know, P2P or any other means on the Internet, is that really stealing? You know, that's kind of what I was asking myself before the show, and I'm not, and I'm really not sure. And that kind of takes away from any, from most of the incentive that you have of, going to a store like GameStop and actually purchasing it. Yeah, why? I mean, if they say, well, we're fine with you not purchasing it, either why not make the game available, or you know, just you know, just say, here, download for free, or bundle, like you buy one disc and it has like 20 of these different games in it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, I, I'm not sure quite where the line would be on that. I mean, one of the examples that they give is The Sims 3. The Sims 3 was leaked onto BitTorrent, uh, I believe it was a couple of weeks before it actually shipped. I think it was probably like right after it went gold that The Sims 3 leaked. Well, apparently, and of course anybody that pirate games, myself included, uh, knows that when you pirate a game, specifically a PC game, Feel f- you can play the single player and stuff just fine, but you never want to um, try and go online with it because then they have your information to track you down, sue you, whatever. So, but apparently the people that when The Sims 3 that came out, well, what they did with that was that, which they presumably knew it would probably leak or at least get on BitTorrent, was that they only gave you part of the content for the game. The rest of it you had to download online. So, like, you'd only get one town or whatever, and once if you installed it legitimately, then you'd have to go on online and buy and download the rest of the part of the town for free. Plus, you get the different aspects, like the community and some extra con- content and stuff, which I hear totals somewhere in, uh, excuse me, in the three gigabyte range, which, if you pirated it, you don't get all that, so. Right. And updates, too. Patches. Well, for a lot of pirated stuff, you can still get patches, but a lot of it... Generally, patches tend to count more towards online play and not so much for Mm -hmm. single player, so they're not really that necessary. Unless there's some kind of a killer bug or something like that. But, yeah, this is just kind of a new movement towards... Um, purchasing extra content like for your avatars like purchasing extra clothes or attributes or whatever depending on the game which personally personally is never something I've fallen for I don't, 
I think it's kind of a scam myself. But I, I've never seen, I've never really stayed with a game long enough that I want to customize my look and everything like that. And it, mm-hmm. I, I tend to play a game through and then switch to to the next to the next game. So this model certainly wouldn't work with me, but I know it seems to be working pretty well for those that have tried it. Yeah, one thing I, I just wanted to point out about the story is that the person who says that they don't care if people pirate it, this is not just some you know PR rep or some guy who works for EA. This is the EA CEO. This is the the, the head decision maker. Yeah. And he's fine with it. And if you read like the transcript, he's laughing as he says this. Mm-hmm. So I. I I think this is probably going to start of something pretty big, at least in EA, uh, about how they treat the distribution of their games and where they're going. And I think uh, it's refreshing, and it sounds like they're embracing the future and understanding the market really well. Here's my thing. If you're, if you're going to say, please go pirate our games, we'd love that, why do you still have DRM on your games? Mm-hmm. That makes no logical sense to me get rid of the stupid DRM that's screwing everybody up, and then you just have much happier customers that probably wouldn't want to pirate in the first place. Only thing I can say about that is probably because it's not only his decision. It's pro- it could be a board thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the the board could be controlling that. Um, they, this could just be, you know, he doesn't care, but it's something they have to do. So it could be just take some time to uh, convince all of the stakeholders that this is the direction that is working and where they need to go. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that are illegal, should be illegal, apparently a judge from the U.S. Court of Appeals thinks that linking to copyrighted material should be illegal. Yeah, this is very stupid. As well as summarizing copyrighted material, that should be illegal as well. Or doing any kind of paraphrasing without a copyright holder's consent see this is I mean, I've written papers in college I'm sure you've written papers in college mm-hmm. and some of it has a little summary um, but you just attribute it where the source is and uh, and most people who do that online is the same thing and how can you not link to a story why would someone put that online and not link and not have the ability to link to it how, how is their, how is their content going to be found? Because keep in mind, if you do a search on Google, that's a link to the story. Yeah, I mean, essentially every search engine would be illegal. Every blog that takes news from another blog would be illegal. Basically, the whole internet would pretty much be illegal. Right, and that means that I couldn't email you a link. I couldn't email you a link and say, hey, this is a really good article. I have to say, hey, you might want to go to some website that might start with... Uh, uh, w and has a letter in the middle of an S and there's a J at the end and and check that out. There's something cool there. Yeah, this I think this judge is just all kinds of stupid. Yeah, all kinds. This would never work. It's impossible to enforce and would break the internet. And keep in mind, copyright is not something that you have to uh, state. It is something that is granted. Uh, it's granted on everything that it's posted. Mm-hmm. You actually have to explicitly state that you don't that it's not under copyright. So anything you write 
it's copyrighted. You don't have to say, you don't have to see a CC at the end or anything. Yeah. It's copyrighted. So that means that uh, everything would fall under this, not just the news industry or what you traditionally considered copyrighted material. This would be everything that's printed, either digitally or scanned in. Yeah, so pretty much everything that's not under the uh, Creative Commons license. Even Creative Commons is copyrighted. It's just a different type of copyright. Yeah, but with Creative Commons, you're specifically saying that you're that anybody's allowed to take your work, change it, do with do with ever whatever they want with it. I believe under the um, rule that they link back to you as the creator or whatever. Right. Well, it says without the copyright holder's consent. So the question is, do they mean that implicitly or they mean that specifically? Explicitly, I mean. Yeah. Like, do they have to actually get it saying, do even though it says anyone can use it, it says, well, am I included in that? Everyone you might still have to. I mean, depending on how it's written. You know how laws are complicated. Depending on how it's written, you can see that either way. Yeah, it's just some horrible lawmaking. Or, or, well, let's just hope that there's never a case in front of this judge that involves any of this that he decides to go crazy and make up his own laws. Yeah, stick with traffic court. Yeah, that's a good idea. I don't know, maybe replace the judge that I faced in traffic court. Because he was all kinds of corrupt. Uh, Anyway, before I get myself into any more trouble... Um... (laughs) Google has apparently launched in beta their mobile AdSense, so you can now expect lots and lots of ads on your iPhones, Android phones, um, Palm phones, Blackberries, whatever. Uh, 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 we might have skipped a story. Did we? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, we did. Okay, well, yeah, let's go ahead and... Uh, Going back a story, uh, the Dutch <laughs> government apparently wants to tax online media to fund print media. Yes. Yeah, I, I almost couldn't believe this story when I read it. Apparently they want to um, basically force a tax on ISPs, so eventually, which would get passed down to users, which would then, the money from that would go to fund print media, which is already dying anyway. Yeah, that's very interesting because you would think that uh, the print media might be in the government's pocket if they are now part stakeholders or a, a revenue source for this dying medium. What would what would keep them from? Uh, I mean, what what is to prevent them from you know self censoring themselves before? Um, writing a really hard story about the government. Yeah. This this is just kind of like the last judge. All kinds of stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, I don't know. Personally, I'd rather invest in the future than invest in the past. Not to say that I don't mm-hmm. enjoy some things from newspapers and think that they do that their kind of journalism does a better job on some stories, but I don't think that you right. should tax people just to fund those, especially when these are private companies. This reminds me of that um, 
that media tax in, in Canada where you would get taxed on recordable medium because the, they thought you would use it for piracy. Mm-hmm. So uh, people just started pirating because they say, well, I already pay for it <laughs> through the tax. This sounds like the same thing. like uh, Something unrelated, but why would they... I would just start stealing newspapers. Yeah. One of the strange, strangest things I've seen is around here, or for our local newspaper, is, yeah, you can um, subscribe to the news- newspaper, have it delivered daily, and, of course, you can always go down to the local convenience store and pick up one, too. But a lot of times they'll go to different functions, like they were at the Hot Rod show this weekend, just giving away free papers. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're hurting, which I know they are, uh, if I remember correctly, they've laid off all their part-time staff and everything. Um, why would you be giving away free papers when you have the opportunity to sell them? It, it just doesn't make that much sense to me. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure things out. Let's, uh, we can't sell it, so let's give it away. And, uh... I don't see how you can get money for giving something away. Our local paper here, the Austin American Statesman, and they are really embracing change. They're on Twitter. They're at Statesman on Twitter. And uh, they even have like an iPhone app. Um, and they're moving to even lighter editions of their paper, uh, like uh, three pages or so uh, for a light, a light type of subscription where you get summaries. And I, I think, I mean, you just have to keep messing with the model until you can figure out, you know, what's actually going to work. Yeah. Well, I think, the, I mean, there's just so many problems with print that I'm not sure if there is a model left for print that is still profitable for them. And, and that's just kind of the, um, the way it is. I mean, when you can get instant news on anywhere on the internet, Twitter, or uh, TMZ, like with all the Michael Jackson stuff and everything, or Reuters, or whatever, and it it doesn't really make any sense to have any kind of print stuff that the news tends to be 24 hours old before you ever see it. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing ever new in a newspaper. It's already old. Uh, But also, I think, we're we're moving into a society where everything is customized. Mm. It, it you, you can get what type of news you want. You want entertainment news? Mm-hmm. You can go to a site for that. And if you don't like that brand of entertainment news, there are 20 other types of entertainment news sites to go to. And you find the one you like and you stick with that one. Unlike a newspaper where you get only one perspective for each one of those categories, usually the editor who's the head of the uh, entertainment division or the business division of that newspaper and so everything seems always slanted a, a certain direction or uh, and and you get their view you don't get all the small little details that you want and there's no customization you can't subscribe to a newspaper and saying well I like this writer this writer and that writer I don't like that writer so don't put that writer in my paper there, there's no model for that right now yeah well, that's one of the great things I love about like Google Reader and with podcasts and stuff is that I can go through and pick each individual site that I want. A lot of times I'll pick sites like Gizmodo, TechCrunch, um, Engadget, and stuff like that 
that a lot of times we'll cover the exact same news, but usually from different viewpoints, just so I can get different mm-hmm. viewpoints. And and the same thing with podcasts. A lot of a lot of times I'll download several different podcasts, which I download all kinds of different like tech podcasts, just to get the different mm-hmm. viewpoints of different people. And it's still about the information that I want to know about, and not the stuff that I don't care about. Exactly. Yeah, it, we're we're all custom and tailored dealing I mean we know what we want and we just want it when we want it and we don't have to wait for one time a day when it's delivered and when we want more we can't we don't have want to wait for the next day to get it right well speaking of getting things instantly you can now get Google ads instantly on your phone yeah there's an app for that yeah well apparently um, last week Google's mobile AdSense launched in public beta for the iPhone and Android apps, and I would—I don't know if you can put them in like BlackBerry apps and Palm apps and stuff yet, but anyway, you can put them in Android and iPhone apps. So, but apparently you have to be for developers to apply, they have to have a hundred thousand page views a day. So basically, mm-hmm. it's just limiting it to the top apps right now, which kind of sucks, but. It wasn't too long ago that I saw some figures saying that from the ad systems that are already running on, like the iPhone and stuff, the different uh, ad companies that are selling ads, the developers themselves can make, for the I believe it's for the top 100 apps on the iPhone app store, the top, um, yeah, for the top 100 apps, the developers would make anywhere between 500 or no, I think it's between yeah, between five hundred and four thousand dollars per day in ads on that. Whoa, so, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, but that, that that's for the top apps. So you're probably seeing hey, millions oh, of, of downloads. So, but yeah, I mean, I personally have never really made much of anything from ads, and still see no money in make in like text ads like AdSense. But I don't know. I'm working on a series of Android apps right now, which. Um, my goal is to have them launched by the end of July, and I don't think I'll have the 100,000 page use at that point to put ads in it, but if I do, I will certainly be putting ads in it just to see if I can make some extra money from it for once in my life. Okay, um, let me just point out a couple things. Um, the reason why I think it's on the uh, Android and iPhone platform is because those platforms actually have full-feature browsers on them. Right. Well, well WebOS does too, I believe. Not, not, it does, but they just released their SDK, so they're a little far behind. So I think that's part of the problem too. Actually, I don't think they released it. I heard it leaked. Oh, well, leaked, but, released. Yeah, uh, it, it got out. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, they um uh, and I linked this in my Twitter today. Uh, the new WebOS update for the Palm Pre apparently disabled. It kills all the homebrew stuff. So if you have a Palm Pre, really? you might not want to install that right now the new right. uh, 1.0.4 update or something like that. But anyway. The the other thing I wanted to point out is that this could really piss off a lot of iPhone users. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is because the iPhone, not it doesn't as yet do multitasking. Mm-hmm. So whenever you click on an ad, uh, you're going to be exiting whatever application you're in. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's really going to irritate them is especially once Flash comes to the iPhone and to Android and everything else, which it's supposed to in the coming months, 
Well, not the iPhone. But yeah. I thought the flat there was a version of Flash coming to the iPhone. Nope, hmm. not announced. What was said is that uh, Adobe said that they would love to have, be on the iPhone, and uh, they still will continue to try to work with Apple on that. But no, there's no commitment to ever have Flash on the iPhone. Hmm. Thought I saw something about that last week. Anyway. It, well, they're going to be on a lot of mobile platforms. Like. Uh, yeah, and I, I know like, they're coming to Android. I know that for sure. Android pre and Windows Mobile. Yeah, yeah. But one of the annoying things about that is a lot of people, especially a lot of advertising, at least in the past, tend to gravitate towards flash ads, because mm. and if you're having flash ads, which everybody know, flash tends to be a little on the CPU intensive side, and if you're doing that on a phone, it's really going to kill your battery life, and that's going to piss off a lot of people. All right. But also. Um... Moving on to our next story is that um, just the ad can bring down the whole experience, as in load times and just uh, uh, being able to use a website. Yeah. Well, apparently this mainly happened during the whole Michael Jackson thing last week where he died and everything, when everybody was trying to get updates out and pass information along and everything. It ended up bottlenecking or ads essentially bottlenecked a lot of sites because a lot of sites were getting absolutely hammered, like TMZ, Twitter, Facebook, everything. They were just getting absolutely crushed with internet traffic. Well, a lot of them, uh, their big problem was ads because while the content would get sent to whoever's looking, the user that's looking at it, um, the page wouldn't load till after the ads load up and the ad networks were getting so hammered too that they were being slow and essentially would slow down the whole experience. Yeah, advertisement, or especially Flash ones, third-party servers are the weak link to any website. Um, I personally use Adblock to prevent this because I've, I've, I've had this problem forever that I'm waiting on a page to load, and it's not the page, it's the advertising that's keeping it. Yeah, that, that's, why, that's probably the number one reason why I use Adblock. I mean, I don't mind seeing the occasional ad, but if they slow things down, I don't care for that. But, yeah, and, and this isn't necessarily entirely ads. A lot of it is having, like, too many widgets and stuff on pages. I, I think that was one of the things that I had an issue with with the blog, and actually on the podcast site as well. Um, a lot of the widgets that I had, especially for, like, the social media stuff and everything, they were causing the pages to load really slow. So... Well, to that point, um, um, yes. I know that they... The, the I know um, Google had a Google Analytics bug in which they went down, and they also had the same kind of effect. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went through, optimized the site and everything, so now it should load, for most people, several seconds faster than what it did, just because of all the extra um, widgets and ads and everything that I had on there, which now it's a much cleaner experience so and much faster, and that's kind of what I was looking for. And I, I, and I believe that would bring me more traffic, not cut my traffic in half, which I still don't understand. Yeah, I, I hope that different networks, uh, when they are evaluating what ad um, 
ad conglomerate to uh, give their business to. I hope they are looking at their build out, their response time, and um, to, to make sure that stuff like this doesn't happen again. Because I, I don't have I, I don't have a problem looking at ads. The only reason why I use AdBlock is because it does slow down everything. Uh, my hope is that they'll get better. They'll get they'll get yelled at about all the money they lost because people weren't able to uh, view their website and make that change uh, for the better. Yeah. Yeah. This having to rely on this kind of stuff and I mean, this is really why I don't believe in advertising on websites, at, at least not in terms of um, traditional ads. If you're going to give out like coupon codes or something like that, that's fine. But doing stuff like this is just always a horrible idea, I think. Mm-hmm. But Agreed. anyway, I do believe that would be our last story. So, um, since I completely spaced out the fact to plug the show notes, at the beginning of the show, you can read all those stories, which a lot of them have, especially this show more than most, have a ton more facts than what we got the chance to cover us this week, especially with like the Simpsons story, the Acer story, and a couple others. Um, you can all find all of the links to the to the stories at globalgeeknews.com. You can find the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog, or just go to globalgeeknews.com and click on blog, which is where you can find all the um, stories that I referenced that I wrote about in the blog within the past day, week, something like that. So make sure to, to check those out and make sure, most importantly, to subscribe to them. Subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the blog. So that way they are delivered straight to your RSS reader and podcatcher whenever something new comes out. Um, if you have any feedback, suggestions, comments, complaints, whatever, feel free to send either stick them in the comments or send them to me at pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Um, eh, shoot, what else was I going to say? Oh, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, you happen to own a company, wants to sponsor us, don't care who you are, well, we might care who you are. Um, <laughs> anyway, shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com, and we'll see what kind of a deal we can work out. Um, and that's pretty much everything for this week. Don't forget to check back next week. We do record... Right now we're recording every Monday night, and I generally release on Tuesdays. This one's not going to go out until Wednesday for uh, metrics reason. It's not really that important. It's just something to make things a little bit easier on me. Um, anyway, that's all of our show. I am PCNerd37 on Twitter. You can follow me there. You are Wesley83 on Twitter, right? So far, so good. Yeah. And drop us a line if you happen to listen to the show. Just drop us a line. Let us know how we're doing. And that's pretty much all we have. So we'll see you guys next week. Later. All right, take care. Have a good fourth. Yeah, be safe. Don't blow off your hands or anything. I'll see you next week.